Blog Talk Radio. Terrible, and the kids won't shut up around the neighborhood. The heat I, is on. Baga, baga, baga. Get on the street. Because the heat is on. Yeah, it's going to be one of those shows, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this is the Rattlechin Broadcasting Network Movie Review Podcast. I am Robert Winfrey, purveyor of misery, rain on your parade, ants at your picnic, the National Park Ranger who prevents you from base jumping off of El Cap. I don't know. Whatever stupid thing you want to do that you think you should be allowed to do, regardless of risk, consequence, or validity, I'm the guy who says, no, you're an idiot. That's what I bring to the table for these things. Now, fortunately, I do have an opposite. The yin to my yang, the tails to my heads. Uh, I, I run out of appropriate analogies. But the, the man who brings... Your, the ham to your burger. The, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, you see, I, I disagree with at least one of those. <laughs> I keep stealing lines from Friday, and that's my favorite line. Y'all, I got nothing that matches in this house. Peanut butter, no jelly, ham, no burger. (laughs) Go on. Yeah, because, you know, Chris Tucker was such a great, glorious, and fondly remembered cultural icon. I'm bored, and I'm tired of you waiting to introduce me. So here's the problem. He's Mark Radlich, and he brings all the joy, the happiness, the defense, and... Well, I you know, I imagine his children will disown him many years from now when they listen back to this and realize he defended some of the things he's defended publicly, but such is a bridge to be crossed and burned at the appropriate time. How you doing, Mark? Well, you know, well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, I came home and I saw the Red Letter Media had done a review. They've, they've changed up their format somewhat. It used to be everything was half in the bag unless it was a Mr. Plinkett review. Now they're, they've actually started a separate review show for older movies. So they, so they did one for Independence Day. They did one for Escape from New York. And today they uploaded, or, or I happen to notice, they, they had uploaded uh, one for Ghostbusters, which is just, you know, sort of a um, Cisco and Eber type setup. It's two chairs with a curtain in the background, sort of a black backdrop. Very, you know, very, uh, um, very, very plain. And they just they review these old movies whenever the remake is coming out or something. So like I said, Independence Day, Ghostbusters. Um, 
And I went to go put it on, and my daughter comes to me. She's like, can we watch? I happen to have said two minutes before that that, that my wife and I have come to the agreement that, you know, as hard as I try, we're never going to be Willy Waffles. You know, which is, we're in this niche right now. We're in this sort of concentric circle and we can't seem to break out of it. But I said, maybe next year will be the year. Maybe next year will be the year that the Rattlesden Broadcasting Network will be the Willy Waffle. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll start to really get some, uh, we'll turn some heads, get some listeners. And not that we don't love the current listeners, but we want millions more of you. And uh, she's like, no, we're just not those people. We're, we're, we're not the people who get lucky and find the magic formula to become internet famous. And I said, that's probably true. And I said, the, the trick is, I gotta, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. The trick is, I got to get on movie fights from uh, Screen Junkies. I got to go to Los Angeles. I got to get on an episode of movie fights because then I can plug the network. People will see me and I will become, you know, the whole network will instantly blow up, right? Because they'll see me on movie fights, which is see my like millions of people. My daughter hears me say the words movie fights and she goes, can we watch movie fights? And my wife starts to tell me, she's like, yeah, basically anything that you do in terms of watching stuff on the internet, she's now into because she's found the way that that's the way to connect with you. Anything movie related, anything internet related, anything video games, she's like, that's my end to be close to my dad. And I said, boy, I better, I, I better appreciate that while it lasts because it's not going to last forever. So I made her watch the Red Letter Media review of Ghostbusters. Um, but, the, but the point of all of that is none of it matters. Uh, what really matters here is that June sec- June second of next year, my birthday, we have we, we had a problem that I solved today. This being July of twenty sixteen, and that was that Wonder Woman and Bad Boys three were coming out on the same day, and I have and I have a crisis of uh, consideration, a crisis of choice. Robert Winfrey, I said, what are we going to do here? Because I know we have to review Wonder Woman as part of the Warner Brothers DC Cinematic Universe. We have to. It, it, is, it is a mandate that the Rattlers and Broadcasting Network review the new Wonder Woman. Yes, but I got the about, memo. <laughs> but what to do about bad boys? And I thought... Pretend that it doesn't exist. Well, here's the conclusion I came to. It's, we're running into the same problem we've already run into this year with Zoolander and uh, Independence Day. At this point, where it's a decades-old sequel to a movie that didn't do nearly as well the second time around as it did the first time around, with one actor who was at least passe and doing nothing of note, and another actor who's in Suicide Squad. So I ask you, Ron. All I heard you say was one actor who's passe and doing nothing, and one actor who's passe and doing nothing. Well, Smith still matters. It just doesn't matter as much. However, Martin Lawrence hasn't mattered in over a decade, so I don't understand who this movie is supposed to be for and why they would be, why they would bother making a, a new Bad Boys with those two actors. If, if they were going to do Bad Boys because again... Because Michael Bay decided in some fevered dream that he was not yet finished taking the buddy cop genre and just violating it repeatedly with heated barbed wire. Why not remake uh, with, with, two, with two fresh new current black actors? Why not you know, replace Martin Lawrence with Kevin Hart? Because Central <laughs> Intelligence already came out. Stop stepping on the joke. Let me try it again. Take two. 
why not remake the same movie again, but replace the two black actors with people who are currently uh, famous and doing well in movies? So you replace Martin Lawrence with Kevin Hart, and you can replace Will Smith with Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. Because Central Intelligence came out two weeks ago and did (laughs) fairly well for itself. And because I cannot, Um, under any circumstances, support the continued employment of Kevin Hart. My point is they've already done it by by doing Central Intelligence. That that was the the joke there. My point Um, point is I find Kevin Hart less amusing than mowing my lawn. If you were trapped in a room and forced to listen to an hour of stand-up between Kevin Hart and Martin Lawrence, both of which were very, both of which stand-up careers were very famous, both of which have have, have uh, stand-up movies. One coming out later this year, "What Now" by Kevin Hart, and then Martin Lawrence did one. What now? Go away! Made into relevancy, like every person you're trying to emulate. You're like every young person I I know. You don't listen. If you were trapped in a room and forced to listen to an hour of comedy, an hour of stand-up between Martin Lawrence and Kevin Hart, which one would you choose? Is there a possible there- way for me to swallow my own tongue and no. get out of it? You actually, no, you actually have to sit in a chair, and they have to perform in front of you. So you're strapping me down Clockwork Orange style for this. <laughs> if, if that's what it takes, sure. That's what it would take. Or a pile of money. I'll accept either. I see. You, uh, well, how much, what's the minimum you'll accept for uh, having to sit there? First of all, which one would you choose? You haven't told me that yet. I don't know. I'd flip a coin. Really? You find Martin Lawrence to be equally as offensive as Kevin Hart? I never said offensive. Offensive to the ears. I find him roughly as unfunny as Kevin Hart. I am really not as familiar with Martin Lawrence's stand-up career as I am with Kevin Hart's. I would have to... So if you're, you give me a week's notice, I will do the appropriate amount of research necessary to come to a reasonable conclusion. Well, next week, when we review, um, when we review Ghostbusters, currently at 78% on Rotten Tomatoes, higher than the movie we're going to be reviewing today, the Secret Life of Pets when we ever get to what it. What is wrong with you people out there, by the way? I just, I have to ask. What is you people? Wait, 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 wait a minute. First of all, I, we really ought to get on to the review of the actual movie we're talking about it's here. It's a short only, review. Which was really mildly re- refers to uh, Kevin Hart. Um, but there's no you people to be yelling at. It's not like the average human being, you know, gets into the tomato meter. These are paid reviewers. It's an accumulation. Okay, so what is wrong with the professional movie film review community at this point in time? Save it for next week, okay? (laughs) We'll do two hours. You you people, you professional film reviewers, certified fresh, Andy Samberg cinematic sputum pop star. I can't for the life of me wrap my head around that. And now... Can we please save this next week? I need need Professor Farnsworth. I just, I need a button that says I don't want to live on this planet anymore. (laughs) Well, then upload it. In the meantime, you have a job to do, sir. We are here to talk... Oh, I never finished my point about the... about about bad boys. So we often have to do bad boys. 
have to not do bad boys because I thought because I, I I think we're gonna have the same issue that we were having this year, which is no one's gonna go see it. it's gonna bomb. I I, I don't think one Martin can Lawrence only hope. And Will Smith, ten some odd fifteen years later, after the second movie already bombed, uh, are going to be able to draw a crowd, especially the same weekend as Wonder Woman. And if Wonder Woman has the same kind of feminist zeal as Ghostbusters, so I don't want to keep talking about that because that's going to be next week's podcast, then there's no, nothing June 2nd is going to make money in the wake of Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman will slaughter all. even if it's I imagine Wonder Woman is going to be terrible, but people will see it anyway. All right. So, The Secret Life of Pets. Huh? Yeah. All right. Uh, first of all, uh, if you if you're considering going to see this movie, and given the statistics and the money this thing drew, you probably did. But if you haven't yet, I would encourage you to do so just for the opening short that features the minions trying to engage in a lawn care scam, <laughs> because it's hilarious. Yeah, it was pretty funny. I was it amused. Was I laughed more at that than I did pretty much anything from the actual movie, but such is life. And your mileage may vary. The Secret Life of Pets comes to us from Illumination Entertainment, which is the group you know behind uh, Despicable Me, The Minions. I think they have one other one. I can't remember it off the top of my head. And the aptly titled Secret Life of Pets follows a few ordinary household pets in the city of New York as their owners are out for the day and get into various forms of mischief. This movie made me feel bad for my dogs because there's always somebody here with them and they never get to have that kind of fun. (laughs) Uh, I really have been interested in what you were going to think of this movie because you're much more of a dog person than, than I am. You actually have pet dogs. So I thought intuitively you would have much more of a connection to this movie than I would. I mean, I, I enjoyed the gags. I actually enjoyed the, the Kevin Hart character uh, because know. of how it was. But as far as, you know, the actual, you know, I, a lot of the reviews on Rotten Tomatoes ended with, and I went home and hugged my dog or my cat or whatever. So I was curious to see, you, you robot, you, uh, how, how you felt about it. So I'll be interested to hear that once you're done with your, your synopsis. All right. Our protagonist for this is a terrier by the name of Max, voiced by Louis C.K., who is probably legitimately one of the funniest stand-up acts going right now. And his affection for his owner... Oh, what was her name? Hang on. I will look it up. Katie. That's right. Took me a minute. I went somewhere else with the K. Uh, He is a very happy dog. He is very devoted. And like most dogs, he can't tell time. So whenever his owner leaves, he is despondent and unsure of exactly what has transpired. He won in, I imagine, I don't know how many dogs actually just sit in front of the door all day waiting for their owners to come back, but I imagine it's a relatively small percentage. We are also introduced to our supporting cast of characters, the dog from across the street, Gidget, 
who has a crush on Max, the morbidly obese cat, Chloe, who eats everything and is a slightly less sinister version of the cat that lives here. Because seriously, my the cat, my youngest brother's cat, uh, he's old, his back hurts, but he still goes out and gets into fights whenever he feels another cat is encroaching on his territory. And he has the upper body strength of a small ox. Uh, his other two friends, Mel the pug, and I have no experience with pugs, but if anyone out there does, I would love to know how accurate a depiction that is. Uh, there is a dachshund. And, oh, there's a hamster or a guinea pig that runs around through the air ducts trying to find his way home. He got lost. And that's the, and there's a bird, a little parakeet. And Max is quite happy with his world. And then it gets upended by the introduction of a very large, uh, very assertive dog named Duke. Things go off the rails relatively quickly. In fact, the majority of this film takes place over a single 12-hour period, probably less. And I once again have to tell myself that I know that's not how these things work, but it's a kid's movie, kindly. Relax. (laughs) Uh, Max attempts to frame Duke for trashing the apartment in an effort to convince Katie that He's a bad dog and should be returned whence he came from so that their love can remain pure. While they are being walked that day by the dog walker, uh, Duke and Max get into it. They get uh, ambushed by a massive pack of feral cats who remove their collars and then they are subsequently apprehended by animal control. Brief aside. And I promise this will be brief. There, I cannot imagine a more mal- unfairly maligned profession in the history of film than that of animal control. Because nobody likes the dog catcher. <laughs> I just, I feel so bad for those people being poorly represented on film. Uh, anyway, they are captured with, uh, there's another dog in there, I believe a I can't tell what kind he is, but that dog is then rescued by Kevin Hart's evil bunny who gets entirely too much screen time. A little one, little one note. He's just crazy. There's not a whole lot there. Get on with anyway, it. they, they oh, break out the other dog because he is part of their movement, the Flushed Pet Society. All the pets that you've ever discarded or thrown away have now congregated under the su- in the sewers of New York City and are ineffectually plotting to overthrow humanity, which is fine. Uh, they are uh, – Max and Duke convince them to go – to take them with them. Uh, this goes poorly once they realize they're domesticated. In the chase, they inadvertently kill – a viper of some variety. It's never specified. But it certainly is a viper. It is crushed horribly and somewhat hilariously. Repeatedly. Uh, the bunny and his cohort swear revenge. Because it's what you do, you see. Uh, Max and Duke escape. They attempt to 
uh, Max and Duke slowly begin bonding. Gidget rallies her, you know, the pets of that building who are friends of Max to begin looking for him because he's lost. She beats up a poor hairless cat, befriends a hawk of some variety, it's never specified, voiced by Albert Brooks. They enlist a paraplegic basset hound, and they begin chasing them down. I don't care. You tell, you're talking about it with everybody else. I figured I'd let you know that that was Dana Carvey. Mark, did you ever watch The Master of Disguise? No. I did. Dana Carvey is dead. His corpse is rotting on the side of a highway somewhere. Kindly do not mention him again in my presence. Okay, weirdo. Mark, now I'm going to challenge you. Master of Disguise is perhaps the worst movie of the last 20 years. Watch it, and let me know how you feel about Dana Carvey afterwards. Everyone's got bills to pay, buddy. Mark, watch it, and let me know how you feel about him afterwards. I don't want to watch it. It looks terrible. Then you have no basis to comment in any way, shape, form, or fashion on my opinion after being subjected to it. Not your opinion. I'm commenting on. I may. You keep talking about the characters and who they're being played by. I happen to have offered that Dana Dana Carvey has every right to be mentioned among the cast of anyone else. The Basset Hound played an important part of the movie. Dana Carvey has the right to publicly apologize for at least three films, and until such time, I'm no longer acknowledging his existence. Okay. I will, however, acknowledge your right to bring him up as it pertains to something we are discussing. Just I will not respond unless directly asked to. I was traumatized, Mark. I don't think you understand. You know, uh, I had kids that I used to deal with in a program who, were, who would do the turtle-turtle bit whenever they saw me. So I understand that. So then you have suffered because of Dana Carvey. And those poor children, I hope you removed them from whatever terrible environment subjected them to that bit of celluloid. (laughs) So so now that we know that Dana Carvey played Pops, let's move on. Now that everyone knows my opinion of Dana Carvey. Sorry, everyone, minor flashback. Uh, they begin lo- again. They begin looking for them. They stumble across the flushed pet society as they're plotting revenge. Uh, that goes badly. They wind up escaping. Uh, Max and Duke. Well, Max discovers that Duke had a previous owner that he got lost from. So, in an effort to both help Duke out and slightly self-servingly get him out of the house and l- return his life to its idyllic splendor, they decide that. We should go see your owner. If you never got, you know, if he if he thinks you're lost, he wants to see you, have you back. He needs to know what happened, like you do. I mean, really, if you've ever had a pet go missing, it's you know, stomach churning. And they go to that particular location only to find that his previous owner, who was an old man uh, when he first got him, 
had passed away. The house has been sold. They are recaptured by animal control. They are then chased by now the Flushed Pet Society. They engage in a brawl. Everyone except Max and the evil bunny are corralled and you know, locked up and taken away. So those two join forces and Jazz Jackrabbit there steers the uh, a confiscated city bus into the back of that car. They uh, The animal control bus goes over the cliff, goes over the edge of a bridge in New York. Mark, did they mention which bridge it was? Judging from the fact that it looked like they lived in Midtown, um, and I think at some point they end up really heading towards Queens, well, Brooklyn is apparently it's... well. Brooklyn is apparently across the uh, Bay River, whatever, from them. It's probably the Brooklyn Bridge. Okay. From the from the look of it, from what I remember of the Brooklyn Bridge, I would say it's the Brooklyn Bridge. Then we will go with that for the purposes of this discussion. Anyone out there who wants to call and yell at me and say no, it's the George Washington Bridge or the whatever bridge, I freely accept the criticism. Well, if it's and downtown, then... if it's downtown, it's one of two bridges. It's the Brooklyn Bridge or it's the Manhattan Bridge. If it's uptown, um, or you know, going towards Harlem, then it's the George. Then it's um, I won't say it's the no, it's not the George Washington Bridge. There's another bridge that connects uh, Queens to uh, Manhattan. And I got a bad New Yorker. I don't remember what the name of it is. Keep going. I'm going to yell and scream at you when I find it. Okay, duly noted. As this car, you know, kind of hangs up in some scaffolding, uh, the poor little bunny, he's evil. Why would you ever feel bad for him? Uh, Max drags him from the wreckage of the bus. However, all the Flush Pet Society... What was that? Okay, random echo there. I apologize. The Flush Pet Society Um, finds them... Okay. By the way, I believe it's the Queensboro Bridge. Okay. That connects... Queens to uh, Manhattan. You realize Benjamin J. Cologne is going to send you a very angry note about your failed understanding of New York geography, despite having lived there. You know, you know, what's funny is I actually used to have all this stuff memorized because I was constantly going in and out of New York. In fact, my father and I talked about that today, that apparently um, they've changed the parking rules for the Long Island Railroad on Long Island. So him and my mother, Clinton, who are currently in New York, couldn't park the car at the Long Island Railroad and ended up going somewhere else rather than into the city to go see a play, I guess it was what they were going to do. And I said, you you pansy, why don't you just drive into the... You're rich. You just drive into the damn city and go park in a garage somewhere. Um, you know, spend the 50 to 100 bucks it is to park your car in a, in a New York City garage and, you know, and go do it that way. And he was like, well, I don't drive into the city. I'm like... What do you mean you don't drive into the city? I used to drive in all the time. He's like, nope, I didn't. You know, I didn't drive in the entire time I lived in New York, and I'm not driving in now. And I'm like, pansy. He's driving all well, the time. It's clearly worked for him up to this point. People should be brave and take on new challenges, like driving into New York City and spending. Yeah, the I, I, I just really have to wonder. Why New York has not it, you tried to use that as their tagline for tourists, and I can only imagine it's because of the body count that tourists account for within that particular. 
right. So uh, anyway, on the bridge, Gidget and her friends show up. They throw a beating at the Flushed Pet Society. Max saves Duke. And they get home in time to greet Katie. Uh, Max develops feelings for Gidget, who confesses hers for him. They are happy. The bunny gets picked up by a cute little girl. Why would you pick up an evil bunny? It just doesn't make sense. Well, she doesn't know it's evil. It's a bunny. I I believe like all bunnies are fundamentally evil. They've just got the mass, the vast majority of the world conned into believing they're not. The podcast, the stranger you get. What? I've been attacked by rabbits before. That doesn't make them evil. It makes them animals. No, no. One of them I one of them I deserved. One of them I chased. The other one was entirely unprovoked. Maybe the maybe the uh, rabbit was racist. Yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> you are not helping. When in doubt, blame racism. That's my motto. Yeah, years and you know, eighty percent of the current population apparently. See, one of uh, us, one of us. <laughs> little red cookbook. Sorry, go on. Really, little red cookbook. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, the bunny is adopted and appara- and foregoes elements of his evil ways because the love of a child can cure even insanity. It can't, but that's what they want you to think. doesn't work that way. Uh, anyway, everyone gets back in time to greet their owners, and life progresses normally and happily for the pets of this particular half block. All right. Real Did I miss anything in the synopsis, Mark? Now, real quick, you were talking about the production company Illumination, which is part of Universal. So they're responsible for Despicable Me, as you said, uh, which also gave us Minions. Uh, they, uh, they will be um, bringing a thing later this year, which we won't be reviewing, but I will probably be taking my kids to go see. You know what they're also responsible for? Um, ha. But they're also responsible for uh, the Lorax, which amazingly did $348 million um, gross. The Lorax is kind of funny. Um, and they'll, they'll be bringing us in 2018 and yet another How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Well, I actually have some faith in them to do that story some justice. The Lorax was not a great movie, but for what it was, it was entertaining, a little bit engaging. And at least managed to retain part of the inherent heart, charm, and message of Dr. Seuss's work. Certainly much more so than Jim Carrey or Mike Myers ever could with a live ad- film adaptation. Or, working- to be perfectly honest, Jim Carrey's voice adaptation in Horton Hears a Who. So some other stuff that they've got in development. Lanimals, Pluto, which is a manga... Gospel for Teens, an untitled Dr. Seuss biopic, Emily the Strange, The Cat in the Hat, Lockwood and Code, The Screaming Staircase, and Johnny Express. So that's what we can expect from uh, Illumination so far. Coming okay. Up. Okay. But they're not doing too bad as a studio. They've Every single one of their uh, pictures they've made, and they've done six so far, they've made for less than uh, $100 million. Yeah, you know, 69, 63, 70, 76, 74, 75. Um, they're, with the exception of Hop, 
and not counting the Secret Life of Pets because it's too soon. Um, every single one has more than doubled its money. In fact, in one case, Minions, it got uh, over a billion dollars. Despicable Me 2 was $970 million. The Lorax was $348 million. And the first Despicable Me was $543 million. So they are, a, they, they are the new DreamWorks in terms of competition for Disney slash Pixar. They, they are uh, the new kid in town with, uh, you know, who, who is the, the competition to beat. Last year, worldwide, Minions beat Pixar's Inside Out. And I had a fucking stroke. <laughs> and I, I distinctly and I, remember I distinctly having to talk you down off of that particular ledge with a good dose of logic, reality, and how movies operate outside of the United States. I still struggle with it, but I... I I'm aware you know, that I, you I, still struggle with it, but I just... For those of you who don't know, Mark and I have on occasion both changed each other's minds and assuaged fears about the fate of society in some ways. So yeah, I uh, I've come to accept it. You know, like I, I I at some point you got to accept reality. I do believe that, and I accept the fact that it you know it is plausible, possible, and even right that Minions worldwide would do better than Inside Out. I still shake my head. Just just I don't. Uh, anywho, um, so what did I think of this movie? Well, we saw it at the drive-in, stranded at the drive-in, branded a fool. What would they say Monday at school? Um. You know what movie that's from? No. From Greece. Stranded at the drive-in. Branded. You know, I've never actually seen Greece start to finish. Are you serious? Mark, what about girls in Utah? Yes. There are girls in Utah. Quite a few of them. Do you know any of them? Now that's a slightly more difficult question. (laughs) If you know a girl, that girl has made you watch Grease. That's the law. Uh, No. Hold on. Yes, I have known women, and I still know a few. I suppose I have never been in a position where they felt compelled to force me to indulge John Travolta's hair. There's always two movies that girls make you watch, Okay. Always true. It's the same two movies. It has been since the beginning of time. Grease and The Wizard of Oz. Now, you might go willingly into The Wizard of Oz, uh, you know, for whatever the reasons are, but no man goes willingly into Grease. That's always I think you, woman. I really think you just undersold a substantial portion of the male population. Well, well I'm not talking about the, the you know, the, the ones into Broadway uh, who may or may not be homosexual. I, you know, I don't want to be, don't, don't, don't want to be racist. Um, but the Broadway people aside, yeah, no man watches Grease of his own volition. That's, that's, you do that to make a girl happy. I have never been have never in a been. relationship with a woman to the point where that became a thing. Okay, well, that's a whole other podcast. Uh, in any case. Hey, I don't yeah, connect with people. Stranded <laughs> at the drive-in is from the movie Grease. After Sandy walked out on knowledge is duly assimilated. Anyway, um, what did I think of Pets? So, I wasn't quite sure what this movie was going to be about. Um, The the marketing of of the thing was, hey, here's you know here here's a bunch of pets doing different things while their owners are out, 
And of course, you know, famously now you've got the one poodle who turns on the iPod and starts headbanging and moshing to uh, System of a Down, which I, to this day, I still think is hilarious. You know, for the longest time... The fact time, that that poodle was able to knock over a pig is scientifically impossible, but still funny. It's still funny. Um, you know, for the longest time, as they were as they were advertising this thing, the marketing focused actually on Chloe. You would have thought the movie was about her because, you know, they do the bit where she's trying to struggle not to eat the turkey and then faints when she sees the cake. Um, they don't actually focus on uh, Max at all. And they don't bring Duke in. They didn't bring Duke into the marketing until months later on, um, uh, you know, as they got closer to the actual release of the film and they started releasing full... Uh, uh, full trailers. And then even then, a lot of it focused more on Kevin Hart uh, and his plans. These are all my plans laid out. I love that line. You do a um, terrible Kevin do a Hart. Terrible. <laughs> Whatever. Um, my plans is all right here. They're all laid out. Um, so I, I like the movie. Uh, I didn't laugh as hard as I thought I would. That doesn't mean it was a bad movie. Uh, I thought the, the movie kept my interest, kept the interest of my daughter, my son as a whole of the story. Um, but uh, for an 845 movie at the drive-in, you know, the kids did as well as could be expected. Um, I found not the Louis C.K. character or even, or even Eric Stone Street's Duke, um, funny. I thought the supporting cast around them were hilarious. I thought um, Gidget's uh, character oh gosh who played Gidget? Um, I will find out. Make your point. I got Jenny Slade's Gidget makes the movie especially at the end when she starts beating up all the discarded pets. Um, You know when she's slapping the shit out of uh, (laughs) her beating up that hairless cat that's pretty funny. Yeah. So she makes the movie for me. Um, Albert Brooks as the hawk, especially at the beginning when they first introduced that character, that whole exchange between him and Gidget, come closer to the dark and foreboding shed. I howled. I was laughing so hard. That was, that was very good. Uh, where, where are you? I'm inside this dark and foreboding shed. Oh, okay. Come at, you come closer over that pile of bones. Okay. Pile of bones. Right. Got it. Now take off the hood. Okay, um, I was friend. From the from the trailer, I wasn't sure what to make of the Kevin Hart character, but whatever your thoughts about him were, this is me, and I thought he was hilarious. I I, I was afraid they were going to overplay him, and that he was going to be too sticky. Um, not sticky, but sticky. Uh, and I actually thought they used him well as a foil for, uh, for Max and Duke. Um, and, I, and I thought, to a degree, he was almost a sympathetic character. Uh, I thought his lines were funny. I thought the way they animated him was funny, especially at the end, and you see this in the trailer, where he actually saves Max and Duke from drowning, and he's laying there uh, drenched, and he, this is like, I feel heroic, but it looked good. It looked good. You know, but he's got and, and he's got the hand in the air and the face, and they and they made sure to you know in a lot of situations with him, they always give him that cute that cute close up face. So I liked all of that. Um, it's a 
I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about this when we when we look through the Rotten Tomato reviews. But there were a lot of comparisons to Toy Story here, which I thought was utterly ridiculous. Because the only thing that the only, there's only one way that it resembles Toy Story, and that is you have the love of uh, of someone's life that is suddenly displaced. The two of them quarrel and end up far from home. After that, it's it, it's its own you know it's its own movie. And there certainly wasn't the element that, that Kevin Hart's crew brought in um, in, in, the, in Toy Story. Again, the, Sid's toys are nowhere near similar to Kevin Hart's displaced pets. So I struggled with, with those people who reviewed it and saw it that way. But um, as far as a, uh, you know, the kind of you know, road, road slash buddy picture where, you know, the object is for... Um, it, it almost felt like a Pixar movie. You know, we talked about that with uh, Finding Dory. You know, Pixar has a has a very good way of taking uh, objects uh, or animals and placing them. You know, putting them in a place where just getting getting home or getting someplace is is a huge obstacle. And that's well, that's what this movie is. Is you've got these pets who who don't typically go, go away from their masters and they're out in the big city and it, you know, in this, you know, terribly large city and they're trying to get home against impossible odds. And then you throw in the element that they're being hunted <laughs> by angry, uh, angry discarded pets and all of that. I thought, uh, I thought it worked out well. Obviously the performances were great. Um, like I said, but when the movie focuses more on Max and Duke, I found the laughs to be sparing. When it focuses on everybody else, I, the laughs were uh, the laughs were uh, in large part. So uh, overall, um, I can see why it's making money, and it was an enjoyable time at the movies. I, do, I don't have a whole lot of negative to say about it, um, other than like I said, its two main characters didn't bring the funny like the rest of the, the rest of the cast did. Yeah, the attempt yeah, there, the I think, is to make, to make uh, Max and Duke, uh, Max into, and Duke the into the kind of emotional heart of the film. Give it a little depth a beyond little just depth beyond superfluous depth. sight gags or the occasional funny bit of dialogue. And they accomplish that goal in the sense that they are not the funniest and you actually get to understand them as characters a little bit more than you do everyone else. Uh, they never achieve. I need, I, even the same type of emotional resonance that you get with even Despicable Me uh, to compare one to one instead of you know comparing this to Pixar. Because yeah, no. Uh, I mean, I laughed. I had say there were some pretty good gags in there. Uh, as you know, kind of a dog person, I thought they did a good job of kind of capturing within the different breeds some of the different aspects of their personalities, you know, very generally, but still amusingly. Uh, Chloe was funny because despite being horribly obese, she still behaves like a cat. <laughs> as your friend, I don't care about you or your problems. Yes, that's, very cat. that's, that, that's a cat. Cats that's are like that. Very cat. 
I really felt like the writers did, you know, much like with uh, the Pixar folks, it's like they sat amongst the animals, you know, and looked at them and studied them and said, okay, let's, let, let, let's do an honest representation of how these animals behave. Um, so we talked about like this, the, the seal gag in uh, Finding Dory, you know, uh, and, and watching them behave in real life, the way they behave the same way in, in the comic, uh, in the cartoon. Um, I got that sense here too, uh, that a lot of, that despite the silly things like as a rabbit stealing a bus, which by the way, you know, you talk about uh, the, the summer of overstuffed movies and themes resonating throughout one movie after another. Is it now like a, a, a rule that, you know, in cartoons, animals have to steal cars? <laughs> Jesus Christ. The second movie in a row. Still funny, but, you know, listen, Pixar, Illumination, DreamWorks, anyone out there, stop having people, stop having your characters steal cars. If I see in the next Charlie Brown movie, he steals, you know, a Lamborghini or some shit, I'm going to be really pissed. No more. It was funny twice. Don't do it anymore, though. Um, <laughs> driving like an animal. Um, but yeah, I I felt that they I, I felt that one of the things that works in favor in the movie Saver, one of the sort of the natural humor of the movie is they, is all the characters acted like the animals that they are. Um. What did you think of the Viper scene? Because I'll tell you what, I that actually gave me, as an adult male, that actually gave me some goosebumps. I was a little, you know, I know historically I, I, I'm not a big fan of horror, but even even that, I thought that was yeah, a good Mark, it, it's not to do with horror as a genre. So much as it is, you don't like being scared. Well, I'll tell you, a one-fang Viper... Uh, you know, bearing its fang at you, getting ready to bite Max. I was, uh, I was on the edge of my seat. And you were just 20, 30 minutes ago criticizing your father for be- not being brave, but... Whatever, I drive into the city. I park my car in Brooklyn. No sleep too, baby. Yeah, because, you know, Brooklyn's clearly still the murder capital of the world with all the hipsters. Where I used to park my car at the time that I was doing it, it ain't Williamsburg, bitch. Talking about Oceanside. Talking about Browns, uh, uh, Brownsville. Yeah. Talking about the pink uh, houses. Where you at? Not, none of that has any frame of reference for me. <laughs> People listening to this going, yeah, I'm with you, brother. Those are all terrible places. I will accept your testimony given my lack of evidence to the contrary. I used to be in all the projects, kid. When I worked for a foster home, a foster, uh, foster home. When I used when I worked for a foster care company back in 2001 to 2004, I used to go into all the projects. Have black kids walk up to me like, who are you? I'm a social worker. And they would yell, <laughs> yell, I tell you, someone's baby is about to get snatched. But it wasn't that kind of social worker. You know, I, I occasionally criticize you for living in Florida because I think Bugs Bunny had it right. <laughs> Those of you who don't know, there's a very famous Looney Tunes bit where Bugs Bunny saws the state of Florida off of the United States of America and lets it drift down 
towards South America or Africa. <laughs> Whatever it intersects first. However, if you had the internal constitution to brave anything approaching the foster care system or the child protective services or any social service, really, in New York City for that period of time, you have earned your early retirement such as it is, and I will know, and I will ameliorate my resultant criticism thereof. Woohoo! You hear that, folks? He's ameliorating. Yes, yes, I am. All right. Anything else about the movie itself? Because I got nothing. Hang on. I asked you what the Viper scene. You chose to call me a pansy. So uh, you know, speak on it. It was an effective scene that placed the primary characters in a degree of jeopardy, and scared two of the kids sitting behind me. I mean, <laughs> did it bother me? No. I have internal constitution and an inability to separate myself and simply enjoy a movie. I am pathologically analyzing whether or not this character is actually in danger based on what I know of the film, not within its own world, but of the film craft of the star of the type of movie it is. It's one of the reasons I had no sympathy or fear for Chris Pratt in Jurassic World when he was stalked, because I know he's not dying. Right. Um, Consequently... I mean, I laughed when all the things kept falling on it. <laughs> all right. Um, yeah, that was funny. Very, very, speaking of Bugs Bunny, it was very Looney Tunes. Uh, the picture looks good. I mean, Illumination slash Universal do a great job of creating very, very pretty cartoons. Um, I thought this was fine. They, they, they have a, they do have a slightly weird animation style. I mean, you know, um, Groot or whatever the hell his name is, Groot from Despicable Me is drawn very sharply, um, but all the kids are very rounded. All the humans in this were very rounded. Uh, you know, um, the, the, the pets themselves looked fine. Uh, nothing looked too weird or out of place or unfamiliar or, you know, old, you know I think they did a better job of ca- capturing the look of the animals than they did the humans. Uh, but overall, I actually, you know, I thought they captured the spirit of New York uh, in the animation and the and the and the look, the look of the animals. Any any thoughts on the um, the look of the film? No, I agree with you. Uh, animating humans is always a tricky business because if you can't go photorealistic, then you shouldn't try. First of all, if you attempt that level of clarity with animation and you fail, it looks abhorrent. It's terrible. Even to a non-CGI snob, such as... I'm a CGI snob. Anyone who's listened to these knows that. Uh, But even to the average filmgoer, poorly animated humans... And when I say... Bear in mind, when I say poorly, I mean... Out of sync with their world, or your reach exceeding your grasp. In terms of both technology and animation ability. it, It doesn't look good. The humans that Illumination does at least maintain an internal vermicillitude. I cannot speak that word. Vermicillitude within their own world that exists for them. And yeah, they're a little bit odd. They're disproportionate. 
I'm more forgiving of it in general here than in other movies, simply because this is done from the perspective of the animals, and that you know, foreshortens everything into very long legs, giant heads, you know, things of that nature. Other than that, as long as they maintain internal consistency, I don't care. And as long as they don't look terrible, look out of place within their world, or become somehow insulting caricatures, I'm pretty much okay with it. All right. Um, I think that wraps up our review of the film itself, unless you've got any burning desires. No, nothing, nothing specific. Solid family movie. Your kids will be entertained. If you need to shove them somewhere for 90 minutes, this is your place. They will enjoy it. They will laugh. Uh, There's nothing especially memorable about it, but so what? It's making money and people are enjoying it. Really, what more do you need out of a film like this? Yep. So with that said, here comes my favorite part of the podcast. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Here comes the money. All right. Uh, this thing is cleaning up at the box office, baby. Woo! Everything this year is either an animated film or a comic book movie that's do, that's doing. If it's doing well, that's what it's doing. Jesus Christ. Um, on a seventy-five million dollar budget, you know, keeping it low and keeping it slow and low. That is the tempo, Beastie Boys. Um. This thing's made because currently enough New York already in this particular discussion. <laughs> I can sing it if you want. Slow in low. I'd really rather you apple. didn't. What you see is what you get. And you I'm going to mute you if you don't get back on point. Uh, $158 million and climbing. It's currently sitting... Uh, domestic it's currently sitting at number 9 it cracked the top 10 um, knocking out Angry Birds Angry Birds was the, I think in the top 10 uh, that's been knocked out finally uh, The Secret Life of Pets is currently coming in just between Central Intelligence which is at $109 million and Kung Fu Panda 3 which is at 143 and again this is just in the US uh, Worldwide it's uh, done 150 some odd million worldwide. Yeah, 158 million dollars worldwide. So it's currently sitting at 22 between Me Before You and The Huntsman Winter's War. It's not going to last there. It's going to move up. Um, to get into the top 10, it's got to it's got to get north of 400 million dollars. Uh, Warcraft currently sits in the top 10 spot at 430 million. So as we said when we reviewed that movie, get ready for the sequel because it's coming. Um, by the way, it's competition. Uh, Kung Fu Panda currently sitting at number nine at 518 million. By the way, that was fucking January when that came out. Uh, Finding Dory sitting comfortably at number six with 647 million dollars. Um, nothing has cracked the top ten since I believe the Jungle Book. Jungle Book is currently still sitting at number three. Batman v Superman is still sitting at number four. Deadpool is still sitting at number five. So, an interesting year so far. You know, if it's not an animated movie 
or Captain America, or, or you know, or a Marvel comic book. Uh, oh, I should just say it, or a comic book movie. Uh, things are struggling. It's it's been an interesting summer so far. Well, Love when you make crappy movies, apparently people are starting to not see them. They're, they're, thank you all finally, out there for that. They're finally picking up what Jay Sherman was putting down 20 years ago. If the movie's bad, <laughs> just don't see it. <laughs> if, they re- if it's a remake, watch the original. The movie's uh, bad, I'm going to be saying that repeatedly next week. For a fair warning. Um, so back to the secret life of pets here. So it's already made its money. Um, it was it's, already, yeah, it's already profitable. <laughs> it's, uh, it was a massive, uh, according to Box Office Mojo, the, their, their latest blog uh, written on July 10th, Illuminations Pets opens with a massive $103 million as Pixar's story tops 216 domestic releases. Um, so next week, it's got, it's got to compete against Ghostbusters and Star Trek and then Jason Bourne. Um, and depending on kid friendly family movie in that bunch, it's going to be fine. Um, I mean, Ghostbusters, maybe I think they're aiming it and marketing it towards children. I have, I still have a sneaking suspicion. The final product is not going to be very kid friendly. Okay. Well, that's not what we're talking about. So we're talking about who's going to go see what, um, I, I, I feel like there's, I mean, right now Ghostbusters is tracking for a thirty-eight to fifty million dollar open. We'll we'll see if he we'll see if the politics move people to go see Ghostbusters or if anyone's even paying attention to it outside of us movie nerds. Um, oh, plenty yeah. of other people are paying attention to it. But uh, overall, the secret life, not a whole lot else to talk about in terms of the money here. The Secret Life of Pets is already profitable. It'll continue to do well. Uh, while you know it's one of the movies, it'll be interesting to see where it tops, uh, where where it tops off. Um, let's see what oh right now it's four day total versus Inside Out according to uh, boxofficemojo.com. It actually made uh, 16 million more in four days than Inside Out did. Now how does it compare to? Um, I'd be curious to see how it compares to uh, Despicable Me uh, or Minions, because again, those Minions just ran away with it. Well, um, Minions was appropriately funny and easily accessible to people all around the globe. Mm-hmm. And an entry uh, into so a funny. franchise that was a massive worldwide success and had tons of goodwill behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, like I said, I'd be curious to dig a little deeper into this and see what, uh, see how it compares to its predecessors under the Illumination Universal um, banner. But uh, I don't have a whole lot else to add in terms of the money here. Like I said, next week is Ghostbusters, Cafe Society, and Equal. So, you know, it's basically its only competitor is Ghostbusters. Now, July 22nd, so that, that's actually uh, something to talk about here. Um, it's got to compete with Blue Sky's Ice Age Collision Course, which has been heavily marketed. It, it's, that's got a trailer going in almost everything I've seen this past summer and some things I saw earlier in the year. Um, the Ice Age is a very popular franchise with the kids. 
they keep cranking out these movies for some odd reason, you know. Well, they <laughs> keep making them because them. they keep making money, despite the fact that inevitably they're all going to die. I was going to say the fact that the movies aren't very good, but all that um, too. So, so in Only two the weeks, first one was uh, any good. So in two weeks, the Secret Life of Pets is not only going to have to go up against uh, Ghostbusters in its second week, but it'll be going up against another kid-friendly movie in Ice Age and Star Trek. Um, July yeah, 29th, but Star Trek is... Uh, I don't think the Star Trek's going to do well. Uh, July 29th, it's got no competition. Everything is for adults. You've got Bad Moms, which my wife wants to go see. It actually looks pretty funny. Uh, Jason Bourne, uh, which we'll be doing which a long we'll road to ruin. Um, yes, which we'll, we'll be reviewing Jason Bourne, and uh, we'll be doing a long road to ruin that week on the Bourne trilogy. Then there's Gleason, Indignation, and Into the Forest. So those are all unlimited release. Now, August 5th, again, um, kid-friendly, depending on how old your kid is. You Suicide, Suicide Squad comes out, and it's PG-13. Um so if you've got your tweens out there who are into the old Holly Quinn, uh, I'm sure that's going to do well, and people are going to go see it. But if you've got young, I really uh, hope. I don't, I don't know. I'm I'm conflicted on Suicide Squad. I watched the first trailer. Was not terribly impressed with any of it. However, I acknowledged what they were trying to do with the film, what they were, how they were trying to promote it. They were going with a specific kind of uh, you know darker. I mean, darker even than, you know, the sensibilities of Batman v Superman, uh, which is fine. And they appeared to be going in a much more kind of serious, gritty realism way with it. Now, I don't think that's a successful model, but that's how they were promoting it. Then over the last, like, week and a half, it's been nothing but them blasting it with upbeat classic rock songs behind it, trying to sell it as kind of a more comedy. If that movie has anything approaching the identity crisis in execution that it has in marketing, it's going to fail miserably. I I think it's going to, I, whether or not the movie is crafted well is is one subject, whether, what what I would like to focus on is whether or not people are going to see it. And I actually think people will. I think Suicide Squad is going to be your, your your home run hitter, you know your 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 fourth batter in the lineup in terms of you know picking up a a dreadful summer. So even if the next three weeks are you know crash into the ground and you know continue to drag down our summer receipts, I think we'll end this. I think we'll be ending the summer on a fairly high note with Suicide Squad. I think Suicide Squad is in this rare position where film quality is going to dictate the amount of receipts my generated. My prediction for Suicide Squad is five, is, is probably around $500 million, uh overall when it's all said and done. Uh, and then lastly, August 12th is Pete's Dragon. Look, I'm going to go see it, but I'm not even bringing my kids to this one. I, I made them watch the one from 1977 because I love that movie. And you, you think I've been singing a lot of songs on this podcast. I can sing almost all the songs from the original Pete's Dragon. And this just is a, how this red are those uh, lenses and the glasses you put on for that movie? I love Pete's Dragon. Shut up. Okay. <laughs> it's not a matter of, uh, uh, of looking back with rose-colored glasses. 
it is a, it is an absolute. It's still to me, it stands up. It's still a funny movie. It's a hard sell to my kids though, who don't really, you know, you know, the movie takes place, I think, at the turn of the century, you know, and I have to explain what a snake oil salesman is. Is a big part of the movie there, you know. She, I mean, my my poor daughter didn't understand why the hillbilly family was chasing this poor child and singing a song, you know, called "The Happiest Home in These Hills." Um, by the way, Jeff Conway, also from Greece, he plays Kaniki. He was also in Taxi, uh, the television show, was one of the Redneck Brothers, which I did not know. Okay, then. Jeff Conway. Pete's Dragon. Anyway, um, I, look, look, I applaud Disney for trying to remake a, you know, an, an old classic and get a new audience, but I don't know how many people are going to see Pete's Dragon. So the point of all of this is that other than maybe Ice Age, um, the Secret Life of Pets with the young, with the youngster audience has got a good couple of weeks to build up a hefty amount of receipts. And they're already in gravy. Yeah, I think I, I mean, yeah, but I, I would think if you're Illumination, you want this movie to do at least you know as good. As some, you know, as oh, they're probably. I, I, I would like to think they want to do with Lorax. You know, I, I would like to think they're looking for at least somewhere between Lorax and an original Despicable Me numbers. No, and three hundred and fifty to four hundred million is not at all outside the realm of possibility. Nope, especially when you've got nothing coming up in the next couple of weeks. That's you know a serious challenge among the young young folks. And if its domestic opening constitutes that much of its total, I genuinely wonder how many markets it has yet to be released in. All right. Uh, So we are, I think, down to our last part of the show here. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 Ladies and gentlemen, I like Robert Winfrey. I do. I enjoy doing this podcast with him. Um, however, there is a secret joy that I have in trying to give him a stroke. Like, what do you think? Some of these reviews from Rob. How has Tomatoes. that ever been a secret? <laughs> so I, I do enjoy. I, I, that's how we started this bit. Is I do enjoy your reactions to these things, and they are genuine reactions, folks. This is not shtick. This is this is a poor man. Trying, to, you know, just grasping at uh, what in the hell is wrong with uh, with this world. For those, uh, uh, we also that- do not go over this beforehand. We know there's this bit coming, but we do, he he does not tell me beforehand what he's going to read. He does not link me any of these reviews. This is simply my off the cuff response to whatever stimulus is put in front of me here. Okay, are you ready? No, but I think it's that time anyway. First, let me ask you, before I read you this one, what did you, you know, are you a fan of the Toy Story movies? Yes. That's the single greatest trilogy put to film. Well, according to Matt Goldberg of Collider, The Secret Life of Pets is a reheated remake of Toy Story and Toy Story 2, minus Pixar's cleverness and warmth. It usually goes for the laziest, most obvious path possible. Yeah, kind of like your reviews. Dude, he gave it a half a star out of five. Look, if you're that desperate to make a connection to try and 
justify your perspective with your audience, you should at least aim at something of a consummate level, commensurate level, excuse me. This is not Toy Story. Not everything about objects or entities, you know, pets or otherwise, that we don't normally ascribe this degree of sentience to, suddenly given them for the purposes of entertainment, is a rehash of Toy Story. Toy Story is not even that original. <laughs> you think the concept of toys that come to life when you're not in the room was born out of Pixar? Or the or, or a man feeling unloved and uh, and doing battle with his competitor, the new suitor. Yeah, look, look I, I love the Toy Story franchise. They combined a couple of elements very nicely, but in terms of originality. You know, you've said this frequently, and I tend to agree with it. There are only so many original stories, and they all – I mean, between Sophocles and Shakespeare, that's about it. All right. Jacob Oller of the Film School Rejects. Nothing in the rulebook says dog movies can't be boring. I now know why you work – with a bunch of people who self-style themselves rejects, and it's because you actually got that letter, not because you're attempting to be edgy. This is not a boring movie. Boring is a subjective criticism. Mark and I have yelled about this in the past. If you were bored by it, by all means say so. I was bored. Perfectly valid. Valid perspective. You can give personal reasoning behind it that is perfectly valid. Ascribing objectivity to that sentiment requires a consensus of people that you simply do not have in this particular case. To be perfectly honest, there's only a handful of movies that are generally recognized as being boring. Statistical outliers notwithstanding. And and where does he even get the notion that dog movies can't... uh, Has anyone floated that theory? I'm going to be perfectly honest. The first time I saw all dogs go to heaven, I was bored to tears. You're, you're going to want some more time with the next few of these, okay? Okay. I am prepared. Al Alexander of the Patriot Ledger. The best thing about the Secret Life of Pets is that it's better than Minions. But that's like saying Zika is a step up from E. coli. I'm going to go get a drink. I'll be back in about 20 minutes. You won't need 20 minutes. I'm not entirely sure I even want to dignify this drek with a response. Oh, please do. I want to get a drink. All right. You get a drink and tell me when you're back. Okay. First of all, the notion that this is better than Minions. Let's discuss how exactly you arrived at that particular conclusion. What is your criteria? Is this a slightly more cohesive and streamlined story? Yeah, sure. I'll give you that. I I don't think it's as funny. And given that these movies are intended to generate laughs there's a perfectly valid argument that says a failure to generate them constitutes an inferior film. Ergo minions is a better film. That's not the most, that's not necessarily the argument I subscribe to personally, but it's a valid perspective and one that I have used in the past, quite frankly, when attempting to differentiate quality, when all I have to go on is, well, which one did I laugh at more? It's a valid way to adjust to address that. More importantly, comparing Minions, a wildly successful 
since you all critics, mind you, love throwing around this phrase, I'm going to go ahead and appropriate it just to cram your nose in it. A wildly successful, fundamentally joyful film that grossed over a billion dollars and generated tons of merchandise sales, genuine joy, there's that word again, from children who saw it, uh, I imagine a great deal of adults laughed at it. It is not inaccessible to adults. Comparing that to the Ebola virus is so woefully misguided in your attempt to generate interest in yourself. You may as well be a giant peacock hopping up and down screaming, Mommy, Mommy, look at me. <laughs> I'm back. Your words do not deserve to be read or addressed further. You should return whatever paycheck you collect, however pitiful it is, and rethink every decision you have ever made throughout the course of your life to this point. Well, if you like that, you'll love this. I think so I before, used most of my was... best material there. <laughs> so I, I said before that, you know, um, I lament the fact that I think we do a really good podcast, but we seem to travel in the same numbers week to week, some more, some less. And we haven't quite had that breakout moment where, you know, we get the rush of millions of people coming to the site each week. And I said the one you know, one way to do that would be to get on something that is popular and be able to promote the site. Well, I have to believe that this person, that's how that happened. That I don't, I don't think anyone knew who the hell Chris Stuckman was of ChrisStuckman.com, Collider, and formerly, uh, and has been, a, has been a contender on movie fights any number of times uh, before he was on movie fights. Because I sort of, sort of hell didn't know who the hell he was. And I've actually watched his reviews. It's basically him, single camera, um, sitting in front of his you know, DVDs and toys, talking about a movie for about 20 minutes. But unlike us, where we pick the tentpole of the week, he reviews everything. Like, he reviewed Norm of the North. That's, that's how deep he goes. Well, I ain't got that kind of time or money. Well, Chris Stuckman, uh, who, who, who up until this point... I was, you know, he was my target. I want I wanted to be like Chris Stuckman. I don't know if I want to be like him anymore. <laughs> I just want his numbers. Because here's what he says, Mr. Winfrey. He says, The Secret Life of Pets is a beat for beat recreation of Toy Story. <sighs> okay, hang on. Hang on. I need to repair the artery in my brain that just ruptured. Give me a minute. A beat for beat recreation of Toy Story. This incompetent lackwit had the temerity to put that out there into the world. <laughs> not, not, not drawing a general comparison, which while I find flawed in many ways, I understand why people make that connection. I, I genuinely do. Toy Story was a lot of people's first exposure to that style of filmmaking, to that style of storytelling. Fair enough. You go with what you know when creating analogies. I, I understand. I disagree, but I understand. Beat for beat, huh? You mean to tell me I could sit down, play these two movies next to each other, and they hit the same emotional points at the same moments throughout the creation of their films. 
the characters save serve the same purpose, have the same arc. For God's sake, the fundamental character of Duke is diametrically opposed to an oblivious, borderline schizophrenic. I can't even think of the right word. That's how fried my brain suddenly became. Delusional character played in the case of Buzz Lightyear. You're going to tell me that a big, dumb, lumbering dog who just wants to be loved and was traumatized through an experience at an animal shelter is the same as a, as a character who fundamentally believes he is a space ranger with a mission from Star Command to prevent galactic calamity. That's what you're saying to me here. That is what you typed and put out into the world, put your byline by, and planted your flag on that hill and said, I'm prepared to die on this one. Well, good for you. I am more than prepared to slaughter you on it. If you want to draw general comparisons, fine. I accept the notion that you are unable to reach beyond the realm of your own personal experiences into actual research and conclusions that you make on your own and desperately latch on to something in an attempt to lampoon this while, while praising something that is universally loved. To then make the claim that the same thing is a beat-for-beat fund, beat beat, fundamental remake of said property is so deeply and fundamentally erroneous. I've mentioned this before on this podcast. The concept of shame in our current society is lost. We have a bunch of morons out there running around under the delusion that because it's their opinion and their feeling, it is therefore right, it is therefore objective, and they never have to defend it or explain it. And you all should not only be made to listen to it, but made to acknowledge its validity, which is a fundamental flaw in all, on many, many levels. That is, a, that is felonious reasoning, fallacious reasoning. Anyone with an ounce of logic can tell you that. And now you have taken that perspective and degree. You have outed yourself as a fundamental moron when it comes to analysis and drawing conclusions from anything beyond your first thought. You are a toddler in this realm who just goes, ow, fire's hot. So all things that look like fire must therefore be hot. I am embarrassed that I devoted this much time and energy to justifying your existence, even if it is just to point out what a deeply flawed joke of a writer you are. Go play in traffic. His review of The Secret Life of Pets, currently on YouTube, has 280,000 views in people, six days. People, people, why? Why do you do this? Why do you allow these morons who have brightly painted faces or smeared themselves in feces jumping up and down naked in the middle of the street with a bullhorn crying, please pay attention to me. I demand validation. Why? Why? Do you agree with him? Is that where we have arrived at now that this this individual has developed a 200,000 plus following of sycophants 
who just blindly accept whatever he says. What in the right, world is have, wrong with us? We we have to move on. All right, I'm done. Never Thank bring you. that individual up on this show again. I just I don't think I can take it. Who, Chris Duckman? Whatever. You I don't want I, me to bring for, up now and forever. I will refer to him as Douche McBag and insist you do the same. We're talking about Chris Duckman, right? Douche McBag. Okay, I just want to make sure you don't want me to bring up Chris Chris Duckman again. Uh, Mr. Douche McBag has a pizza waiting for him that's getting cold that he needs to claim at the front office. Jonathan W. Hickman of the Newman Times Herald. Pets aren't minions. The ever-expanding cast of characters and outlandish action set pieces feel forced and overly familiar. Uh, okay. Two things. Keep this short. There's a lot more I will to go keep over this here. short. One, cast of characters feeling familiar and whatever. It's a kid's movie, you twat. Yeah, they're all like that. They're broadly drawn characters. Things are brightly colored. There is no moral ambiguity. This is designed to entertain and hopefully somewhat edify children. If you didn't get anything out of it, that just means you graduated preschool somewhat adequately. Congratulations. And Lee Ellingson. It's not Minions. Hang on, I want to touch on this last thing. It's not Minions. Well, no kidding. Minions are sight gags. Given moderately distinguished, distinctive personalities and engage in physical hilarity. That's what they do. That's their gimmick. Of course this isn't that. It's not intended to be that. Otherwise, it would be Minions 2. What, what did you go into this expecting? What preconceived bias were you unable to adequately turn off for the purposes of reviewing this movie? Your answer lies in the next, next, in the next review. Ann Lee Ellingson of LA Biz. There's no there there. No political or social analogy. And with this reliance on a familiar villainous animal control as a plot device, no creative world building. Oh. Okay. See previous rant about this being a children's movie. All right? Now, I fully understand that a children's movie does not have to be stupid. It does not have to be pandering. What great social commentary are you looking for here? <laughs> I would really love to know what you would, what you anonymous, well, not anonymous, but you reviewer lady would have done differently to elevate this to the level of social commentary. Would you like the animal control people to be investigated for excessive force when apprehending <laughs> wild creatures? <laughs> Do you want the parakeet to start a hashtag about pet lives matter? <laughs> what are you asking for here? Okay, I'll agree that animal control is overly vilified in children's film. I completely agree with that. That's a valid point. You're... Okay, but, but hang on, hang on. Realistically, what else is out there that a domesticated pet that suddenly goes outside of its home and has to deal with obstacles. How many are there, I mean, especially in a city environment, how many of them 
how many are out there that, that if you are sitting, if you and I are writing a script about animals lost in the big city and we need to create obstacles, but we're not going to use animal control, what's left? I don't know. I, I, that's the thing. I genuinely do not know. If that's the perspective you are adopting, that's like saying if we're going to cast a drug dealer as our protagonist, I wonder what his opposing force is going to be. <laughs> no. Oh my God, no. Walter White was only opposed by other drug dealers and the DEA. You failed to elevate your material. Why did you go All with right. the tired old government law enforcement agency opposition hack to someone who's breaking the law? All right. Joe Morgenstern of the Wall Street Journal, top critic. A movie in which things happen from one second to the next with no particular logic to no discernible effect. Oh, wow. Did he watch the same movie as us? I'm assuming this particular hack simply has a copy, a series of, pre- of pre-written movie reviews that he copies and pastes with maybe a word replacement program to substitute the movie title into. So do you have he gets a paycheck from the Wall Street Journal, a respected paper. I mean, this isn't Willie Waffles here or ChrisDuckman.com. He actually writes for a, for a world-renowned, uh, important, even in, in the Internet age, important paper. And he came up with that dreck? Like, and he gets paid for it, and you and I toil in obscurity. I think that's the, that's the worst part about this whole segment. <laughs> is, when we realize more just how bad it is out there. <laughs> All right, moving this along. Um, Alyssa Wilkinson. Of Chris if you wish to remain a respected publication, fire that man. Yeah, he, looks, he only looks about 107 years old from his picture. Fire him for cause. Easy. You know, this is this review constitutes justifiable reason for the termination of employment relative to his contractual, uh, contractually obligated duties to you. He just fundamentally was wrong on every conceivable level about something you pay him to do. This is the rough equivalent of, you know me being paid by hypothetically sports illustrated to report on let's say fighting because that's you know uh that's my expert that's where i kind of exist in this world right now and i come away from ufc 200 saying mark hunt beat brock lesnar you could (laughs) not be more wrong if you tried all right Alyssa wilkinson of christianity today you won't feel anything at all Wait, there's more. Just, just rub your temples. Rub your te- Rub them. No, there are no. There are no clever catchphrases. There is no message, meaning, or moral. Nobody even makes a speech about believing in yourself or the importance of friendship. Those staples of children's entertainment. I, I guess Max and and Duke learning to live together and love one another as brothers was too subtle to, for this woman to pick up on. Gidget's rallying speech to the, about, you know, how what a good influence Max has been for all of them. Sorry, Chloe. Yeah, Chloe who actually gave that speech. I assume this particular individual finds 
miracles from heaven to be on the subtle side of message and symbolism. <laughs> now, whether or not you feel anything during and after this movie is fine. That's a, what affects you emotionally is whatever affects you emotionally. If you were not moved by any of this, fair play. I accept that. I'm half robot. Believe me, I understand. But, no, there's no rousing speech. Well, I mean, there are speeches, but there's nothing rousing. I appreciate that. There's no stupid catchphrase. I can't tell you how glad I am they didn't try to overly market this and run it through PR firms and focus group to death to come to give Max or the stupid bunny some little witticism they can spout off every five minutes. Not for nothing, but Kevin Hart, just in natural dialogue, had plenty of quotable lines. Okay, I, I look, so. you know, I'm, shut up. I'm, I'm wet, <laughs> but I feel heroic, and I look good. You know, all my plans is all laid out. I just, that's all funny. And it came, and it came naturally in, in the course of the movie. You know, it wasn't poochie. Which is what I think about when I you know, when people complain about stuff like this. Like, do you want Poochie? Is, is Poochie the, the goal? Mark, I have a deep feeling that if you were to tell this person face-to-face, do you want Poochie, they'd think you were being sexist. They don't understand the reference. That's the type of mind we're trying to get through to here, and it just isn't happening. All right. Uh, a few more here. We've only got about 90 seconds of live time left, and then we got we got to start – closing shop up here. Dan Geyer of the Chicago Daily Herald. This cartoonish series of action vignettes glorifies bullying and teaches kids that violence can solve problems quickly and efficiently. Okay, two things. The glorification (laughs) of bullying, I do not understand what leg you have to stand on with that argument. Wait, unless you're attempting to say that, you know, animals live in a clearly defined alpha beta relationship and that's bad which a it isn't and b that's the way pack mentalities work and have since the dawn of i can't say the dawn of time since they evolved into the since they evolved into being pack animals that's simply how their relationships work any naturalist any animal science mate any 15-year-old taking earth science or biology can explain to you the validity and the reasoning behind pack mentality and the, and the necessity of an alpha. I understand that the fact we, that in this case we give the animals voice and a little bit of planning ability somehow confuses you into, think, into believing that we have now given them total sentience and the ability to calculate astrophysics when it's expressly stated that our main character has no idea what happens to his owner as soon as she leaves his line of sight. I mean, fine. You, your brain can't actually comprehend the, the degree to which we have shifted from strict dumb animal to ability to create objects that will land people on the moon. Fine. You, it's binary to you. All right. I'm going to read a few in succession and then we're done. And I'm going to okay. let you just respond to the lot at large. Okay? So Sounds good. Make, make with the temple, temple rubbing, because this is going to be a slog. Kevin Marr of the Times UK. 
The Secret Life of Pets is a brazen retread of Toy Story, an identical animated blockbuster in almost every aspect except for the charm, warmth, and narrative weight. Wait, there's more. Cam, Cam Linekin of the Georgia Strait. It's like Toy Story without the lament for childhood things. Pretty disposable stuff. Uh, Scott Tobias of NPR, top critic, says it's not Pixar, but it'll do. May get families in theater, but it's not an inspiring proposition. Sean P. Means of the Salt Lake Tribune says, apart from a few funny sight gags and some good comic performances, including Jenny Slade as the love-struck puffball and Dana Carvey as an old hound dog, this copycat movie doesn't know any new tricks. And finally, Walter Chaw of Film Freak Central says it's brutally bad, gave it no stars out of four. Do me a favor for that particular final gentleman while I yell at the rest of them. I want you to look up his reviews specifically for The Legend of Tarzan, last year's Fantastic Four, and, you know, just anything else that you and I and every thinking person agreed was just crap. I would really love to know if this gentleman has any form of internal consistency. Okay. If you would do that for me, (laughs) I would appreciate it. I've got it up. I'm ready whenever you are. Okay, go ahead. Give me that before I go at the rest of this. Well, he gave Tarzan three out of four stars. Okay, so he's an idiot. (laughs) Wait. Wait, let's see what we got else here. Um, I'm looking for something. That he he. We have not looked at the same stuff. He gave Hell Caesar four out of four stars. He gave Deadpool two out of four. Uh, he gave Zootopia three out of four. Batman v Superman two out of four. Uh, Creed three out of four. He gave The Last Hunger Games three out of four. Spectre three okay. out of four. We're dealing with a fundamental moron. Okay, let's get that out of the way. <laughs> oh wait, wait. This last, we, I gotta do this last one, and then and then the, the the room is yours, as it were. Guess what he gave Pan? I'm guessing three out of four. Close. Three and a half. He went. Th- <sighs> it reminds me most of Silva. Hang on. It reminds me most of Sylvain Chalmers' The Triplets of Belleville. It's great. I I, I don't I don't. <laughs> Ow! Hang on, I need to like stab myself to regain mental clarity here. Give me a. Oh God! He only gave the Martian two stars. What? How is this person employed? <laughs> Bloated okay, hey, okay, I, 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 I got to just get this out of the way. First of all, this last gentleman we're discussing is a moron. Straight. His criticism seems based entirely on how pretty he thinks the visuals are. And even then, the fact that he gave Pan that good of a review just speaks volumes to his incompetence on so many fundamental levels, I'd spend a week listing them all. The rest of you comparing this to Toy Story, I really, I got to bring this up because as Mark was reading off that litany, it occurred to me, I can yell at you for referencing Toy Story. And I, but to what degree does that actually help you bunch of morons? 
Can I, I can hit you all day. Or, hang on, I have a point. I can hit you all day no, over the head, but if I never tell you how to do it better, you'll never get better. He gave the Avengers like, one star. Uh, Sorry, keep going. Okay, what was this guy's name? I have to make another plea. Walter Shaw. If any of you out there, within the sound of my voice, know this gentleman, can find him, I would like you to find something. Go buy, you know, I usually say fish, but I don't think that's going to cut it in this case. I would like you to buy a very large salami. I would like you to freeze it. Let it thaw a little. I want the, the core should still be firm, but the exterior should be spongy. This should leave no permanent damage. Now, with your somewhat rotted, partially slushified salami, I want you to find him and strike him repeatedly about the head and shoulders with it. Oh, God, he eats Birdman one star. Let me rephrase. Anyone out there who knows where this gentleman is, take a bar of soap. <laughs> Wrap it in a hand towel and chase him through the streets of wherever you are, striking him repeatedly. What is wrong with this person? He gave the amazing Spider-Man two, three out of four stars. Mark, if you keep going down this path, eventually I'm just going to tell someone to shoot him. And nobody (laughs) wants that. Okay, you you were talking about the rest of the people. I'm just gonna keep setting aside this monumental waste of space. This (laughs) chromosomally deficient human being who somehow has hired enough monkeys to bang repeatedly at his keyboard to form a semi-coherent thought that likely exceeds his own intellectual grasp. Putting all that aside. Your point of comparison for a movie about pets lost in a city is another animated movie that is very different on several levels. And for some reason, you all just passed over the three, four, or five made documented films about animals lost in cities. That, that, that just never crossed your mind, huh? You, you couldn't compare this to, oh, for want of a better... Okay, I know 101 Dalmatians doesn't deal with a lot of large cities, but you got 101 Dalmatians. You have the two Homeward Bound movies, which are much more similar to this in every way than Toy Story, apart from the fact that one is filmed live action and one is filmed and one is done with computers. You have... Oh, crap, what is it? I can't remember. There's another one that I had. There are movies that deal specifically with this subset of storytelling, this narrative device, yet you glossed, you ignored those in favor of attempting to make a disparaging remark about the film. You're as bad as all those people who compared Avatar to Fern Gully. Because rather than compare it to a good movie, which it deserves, like, say, Dances with Wolves, You attempted to demean, belittle, or remove uh, the film in and of itself by going for hackneyed comparisons. He gave The Lone Ranger three out of four stars. 
Mark, I'm really trying not to request that our listeners find this man and commit some actual act of violence. And you just keep pushing. He's not all bad. He gave zero stars to Oz the Great and Powerful. And that's pretty much dead on. I don't care that a blind squirrel finds a nut now and then. He gave Steel Magnolias only one star. Okay, listeners. <laughs> this is out of my hands now. Oh, no. You are no. all... Okay. He gave the Temple of Doom three and a half stars and gave the Last Crusade two and a half. All right. Who does this guy write for again? Um. <laughs> well, his email is walter at filmfreakcentral.net, so I'm going to go with Film Freak Central. Okay. Everyone out there who can hear me, I'm not going to encourage you to follow me blindly here. Mark has laid out plenty of evidence. Do your own research. This man's profile, his review history, it's all readily available on the internet. Do your own research and decide for yourself if this is the type of human being that we as a society are better off with or without. He gave Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith, two out of four stars as well as The Lion King. Mark has laid out a terribly compelling case for all of you. You actually don't need independent research at this point. If you wish to confirm what he's saying, by all means, do so. Write to these people. Let them know how deeply and fundamentally displeased you are with this person's employment. The first lethal weapon... Two out of four stars. Oh, God. He gave the Dark Knight Rises three and a half out of four? I'm okay with that, actually. I'd go with three out of four personally, but that's just me. God, the Dark Knight Rises is such a mess. I didn't say it was... Again... Had he gone had he gone two or four, I think we'd have major issues, but I think that one falls within acceptable parameters. If you happen to know this individual, I encourage you quite strongly to inform him of how deeply and fundamentally disappointed you are in him as a professional how much his parents must hide their faces in shame whenever they are informed of his particular proclivities of his theoretical professionalism. And if you happen, and I would also encourage you to question, to call into question his ability to ever satisfy physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, or even financially a partner of whatever his sexual preference is. Ouch. This is the type of human being who is so desperate for attention through this medium that they're almost contrary just to be contrary. And if by some small tidge, if, there is, if they fall within the actual statistical outlier that is this inept, this incompetent, 
this much of a drain on everything that is good and right about about civilized society, then the only recourse we have is to tell them that until shame kicks in. You see, shame is a good thing, actually. Shame is an internal feeling that lets you know what you're doing is wrong. You feel shame, you should correct something. Especially if it is all internal. Look, if you're dealing with shame because you were abused, whole different subject. That is not actual shame. That is not appropriate shame. You should not be ashamed of that. That is a whole other thing. Internal shame brought about by this massive fundamental cognitive dissonance because on some level you know what a moron you are. Can I go stop you real quick? So, Toy Story. Shame used to inspire people to ritual suicide and this person ought to consider reviving the practice. Toy Story. Two and a half out of four stars. Toy Story 2, four out of four stars. Anyone driving a bus in the vicinity of this man, do not slow for him if he crosses in front of you. He gave the first paranormal activity one out of four stars. That's fine. I accept that found footage puts so many people off. It's uh, fine. You you can be stupid about that. No one oh my who sees God. this man crossing Dude. the street should slow down if they're driving. Okay, this if is you're a small child or you have Hang a on. small child and can get away with inciting them to do something that you couldn't get away with, give them a bag of feces and tell them to throw it at him. What kind of asshole gives the blind side zero out of four stars? I don't even care for the blind side, and I know it's better than that. That's what I mean. Like, If you, okay, you have pers- a large dog, and you can train it <laughs> to render this man prone and then defecate on his face, Please do so. I think we're good here. I want this man to be (laughs) harried by the stupidity that he has put forth into the world. Oh my god! He gave Waterworld three out of four stars. He gave Waterworld three out of four. Yeah, and he said it was actually pretty good. By far one of the worst movies ever captured on film. Actually pretty good. Okay, if you're a roving band of teenagers (laughs) hopped up on methamphetamine or bath salts, point yourself in his general direction first. Who in God's name pays this man? For almost two decades, this jackass has been paid to review film and has been so monumentally inept, I have to wonder if at any point during his theater experience, his care worker has to excuse them to change his diaper. Oh, 
Now that I've given my family internal bleeding from holding in their response to all this. <laughs> Walter Shaw agrees with the tomato meter 74% of the time. His reviews from any publication always count towards the tomato meter because this critic is a tomato meter approved critic. Okay. Dear people who run Rotten Tomatoes, kindly review the process by which you approve critics on this level to actually influence your vaunted tomato meter because this ass is defecating all over. (laughs) Whatever credibility you're attempting to carve in the age of the internet. What kind of hallucinogens does this man ingest regularly and where can I find them? Because that's good shit. He gave Quantum of Solace 0.5 out of 4 stars. That's unduly harsh. (laughs) Uh, Wow. I mean, some of these, you know, you would agree with. I think he gave one of the Transformers movies like zero stars. I'm sure you're right there with him on that. Depends on which one. Wait, wait, which one? I need to know which one to know whether or not this is a defensible position. Oh, I'd have to go back and look. But he gave Madagascar Escape to Africa 0.5 out of 4. You see, again, I think that's overly harsh. And I'm not terribly fond of those movies. Mark? Top Gun, 1 out of 4 stars. Well, you know, if he's a homophobe, sure, he doesn't like Top Gun. The Incredible Hulk 2008, 0.5? Oh, Jesus. I'm closer to with him on that one than not. Okay, final final bit. Guys, if you know this person, please non-violently confront him about his idiocy. If he actually suffers from some form of mental disability, I don't know if this is chromosomes got crossed or his family tree doesn't actually branch enough. Whatever sad state of affairs led to this human being being like this, if it is at all within the realm of his ability to control, you need to lob water balloons that are the kind of water balloons Mark might get thrown at him in prison. <laughs> They're working in jail for the 40 millionth time, but sure. Sorry, sorry. All right. a, a facility that houses the incarcerated. You still have to watch out for the slurry of, you know, piss and feces. We call it a cocktail. All right. You know, um, everybody has a different name for it. If you know where the running... settlement's car is. <laughs> All right. I don't want Take to it. actually cause damage. Hang on. I want to be clear about this. Do not actually cause damage to his car. Simply let the air out of one of his tires. Unscrew the little cap. Get a pen or something, jam it in there, release all the air. Just one dumb bastard stew over the mystery of his eternally flat tire. <laughs> Until he dies and actually has to stand before the Lord God Almighty on the day of his judgment and attempt to justify in any way, shape, form, or fashion his in- the totality of his mortal existence and is forever found wanting. 
are we done now? That's about the worst thing I can throw at him. Okay. God will judge you based on the quality of your work as it pertains to this. And I'm sure the little boys you touched at night didn't help. Oh, there's no reason to call him a child rapist. All right. Uh, Tomorrow night, Robert Winfrey, if he's still. All right, all right, all right. Hang on. Instead of children, let's make it more palatable since we're talking about the secret life of pets, his poor traumatized herd of collies. One this more is time. the man Chevy Chase was referencing when he looked at that poor child in Caddyshack and said, well, your uncle molests collies. So tomorrow night, if you enjoyed and the this, comedy side And this asshat also probably negatively reviewed Caddyshack. I didn't look. We'll be, because um, I, my head might, at, my blood pressure might rise to unsafe levels. This is still me within acceptable parameters. So Robert Winfrey will, will hopefully not have a stroke, and he'll be covering tomorrow night's UFC fight night. McDonald's Even if I have Lester. a stroke between now and then, I could sit in front of my computer with one with half of my body dead and pound out a better report on that event than this jackass does on a film on a regu- for a regular basis. And he gets paid for it. There is no justice. I'm totally waiting for the yell. There is no God. Um, I anyway, know that's why I we're... have not converted to atheism. I, I absolutely will not say there is no God. God exists. God's pretty awesome. Unfortunately, he has to sit back and let us make our own choices that include the existence due to some faulty prophylactic that spawned this poor bastard. I'm going to get through this if it kills me. I'm done. So... I'm done. I'm done. I swear I'm done. <laughs> Take a breath. Someone get someone in your house. Get Robert Winfrey a towel. Um, I don't need a anyway, towel. I'm good. I'm done. I have water right here. I have reduced those within the sound of my voice to tears. I'm good. So the reason why we reviewed the movie tonight instead of our usual Wednesday night is because, as I said, Robert Winfrey will be covering a UFC event before OneMania.com. Uh, during the day, I, however, will be with my children and uh, other family members at the at the Disney's uh, Blizzard Beach, we are going to ride water slides and go into the lazy river. Uh, Thursday, we are swapping places here. Thursday, uh, Metal Hammer of Doom, Lacuna Coil, Delirium. This is shit we forgot months. Uh, we forgot about the old Lacuna Coil from earlier this year. We're going to review it this Thursday at 9:30. Uh, Friday, Ghostbusters comes out. Uh, the remake of the 1984 classic, uh, tracking to do a 30 to $50 million open. Currently, um, it's sitting at 78% fresh on the tomato meter as opposed to the secret life of pets, which is at 74. Just, just handle that. Uh, if you're into boxing, there's a heavyweight, there's a rare heavyweight fight where the heavyweight champion is an American from Alabama. Uh, Yante Wilder versus Ariola and Vasquez versus Diaz will be on uh, PBC on Fox uh, starting at eight o'clock. So if you're so we've got Fox on we've got boxing on broadcast television, folks. Fox is bringing us a heavyweight title fight. Uh, if you're into boxing, give that a look. See uh, next week. If you're into boxing and have a brain, you know to steer clear of everything Ariola does. Oh, I still like Yante Wilder so. Uh, next week, um, 
Metal Hammer of Doom is back on Tuesday with Death Angel, The Evil Divide. Robert and I will attempt to civilly, civilly, civilly review Ghostbusters. We will be fair. We will be honest. We will keep the shtick to a minimum. We will agree to disagree, but we will be gentlemen about it. So help me God. I will absolutely respect Mark Radlich's opinion and agree to disagree at the end of it because, and I'll tell you this all right now, he's going to like it and I'm probably going to hate it. And that's okay. However, Um, Mark, any reviewer that you quote for our end bit is afforded no such courtesy. In fact, it, it would do me good if you were to find a reviewer who adequately sums up your perspective so I can yell at them instead of you. <laughs> okay, sure. Uh, Thursday, July 21st, Long Road to Ruin is back after taking a couple of weeks off. We're going to look at Ghostbusters 1, Ghostbusters 2, and Ghostbusters the video game. Uh, fr- Friday, July 22nd, a Neil Fallon of Clutch Side Project, Dunsmuir, will be released. Uh, we're going to review it later on in the year, but it comes out on Friday for those of you who are into clutch and want to pick that up. Um, and, and also that night, uh, Star Trek Beyond comes out, the third of the new Star Trek reboot series. On Saturday, July 23rd, we've got a UFC on Fox card that features Holly Holm versus uh, Valentina Shevchenko. Thank you. Uh, in the main event at eight o'clock on Fox, so another uh, fight, bro- another uh, fight card broadcasted on national television. Uh, the week after that, we've got Battleground on July 24th. WWE presents Battleground with the Shield Triple Threat that we've all been waiting for. Um, on Tuesday, Vince McMahon and Kevin Dunn. Um, on Tuesday, there's no show because I will be taking my family to go see Gwen Stefani and Eve and let me blow the mind. Um, so I'll be at a concert and uh, there'll be no shows. However, we'll be back on July 27th to review Star Trek Beyond and then Metal Hammer of Doom will be doing a show on Thursday. We'll be looking at Witherscape, the Northern Sanctuary. Uh, that Saturday, Robert Winfrey will be reviewing... Uh, UFC on pay-per-view, UFC 201, Robbie Lawler versus Tyrone Woodley. Uh, we lost the co-main event. I was really looking forward to it, too. Oh, that's the flyweight fight. That was, yeah, Demetrius Johnson and Wilson Hayes. Uh, I was really looking forward to that. Hayes being such a great submission grappler. I mean, granted, I didn't give him a, much of a chance against Demetrius Johnson, but I was looking forward to that. I love watching Demetrius Johnson fight. The man's superb, and that was going to be his ninth consecutive title defense. So hopefully his injury wasn't serious. They can reschedule it for a little bit later, and he can continue his inevitable march towards surpassing Anderson Silva. Um, On Tuesday, August 2nd, we will be, in fact, reviewing the new Dunsmuir. Um, Rob Winfrey and I will be reviewing Jason Bourne. Uh, And... Uh, Long Road to Ruin will be back again. Uh, we'll have Andrew Graham with us, and we'll be looking at the original Born minus Jeremy Renner, the original Born trilogy, double. And then on Friday, we've got a slew of releases. We've got the new Jackal with a Y, Royoko. We got the new Tarja, the Shadow Self, and Suicide Squad comes out. Uh, Saturday. The, any good. Shut up. Jackal with a Y is amazing. A chainsaw as an instrument is the greatest thing ever. Um, 
Saturday, August 6th, Robert Winfrey will be reviewing Rodriguez versus Ceres on Fox Sports 1. Which I sadly realized I cannot attend live. Uh, is that the one in Utah? It is the one in Salt Lake City, and they bring us a terrible main event. But I have no ability, I have no device at my disposal to connect to the internet with uh, from a mobile platform that would allow me the ability to adequately update. I don't have a laptop, basically, is the long way of saying yeah, that. I'm just driving around getting, getting to that point. I don't know why you can say I don't have a laptop. Um, I don't, and it right. makes me sad, but hopefully the ticket sales and the crowd are good enough to get them to come back, and next time around I will be more prepared. And finally, just to wrap up the plugs here, August 9th, Will be Metal Hammer of Doom will be reviewing the aforementioned Tarja. Uh, we'll be reviewing Suicide Squad, and Pete's Dragon comes out on the 12th. When we'll get to that when we get to it. Um, all right, so that's it for all of my plugs. I've covered most of Winfrey's plugs. Anything else you want to say there, Binky? Uh, I believe my appearance, uh, sorry, my appearance in the Factor Fiction weekly column in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania. We'll go live on Wednesday, uh, so give that a read. Vote for who you think won. Always appreciate it, and those are good columns. Uh, beyond that, no, that's all I've got. I need a long shower, some new antipsychotic medication, and a quick call to my sponsor. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm not addicted to anything. That was stick, guys. I, I apologize because the re- almost everything else I said about that gentleman, I will stand beside. I have Mark has yet to find someone, even that particular man whose head is so far up his own ass he can basically eat twice, has not yet driven me to the consumption of alcohol, tobacco, or illicit drugs. I, however, can do all I want. So with that said, hey, I can we'll do all again. I want. I choose not to. It's an issue of willpower and personal commitment. The fact that yours is inferior to mine is not the issue. Whatever, man. Party hard. <laughs> all right. Uh, on that note, on the party hard note from Mark Radlich, I'm Robert Winfrey. Thanking you all for being here. Thanking you for listening to my quasi cathartic my therapeutic meltdown at the idiocy of humanity and i hope it was somewhat cathartic for all of you because i feel a whole lot better uh all right until next time he's mark radlich i'm robert winfrey and i would love to remind you all once again to please continue to be well be safe behave and as mark just said party hard yeah that that's coming out of the exit here good night everybody see you next week Hey, damn it. <laughs>